Hello, welcome to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. I'm Susie Colick, the creator of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense, a self-empowerment program through self-defense. I'm a storyteller, a violent crime survivor, and a martial artist. I use these experiences to develop a program that's tailored for the way women actually learn, the things we actually face, and that's actually fun. Well, I think it's fun. We do too. These are some of our Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Certified Trainers. Hi, I'm Serena. Hi, I'm Shelby. And I'm Marilise. They're in LA, and I'm in Berlin. And there are a lot of miles between us. So what do you do if there isn't a Pretty Deadly Self-Defense course near you? Well, we put some basic techniques in an app. Which you can download from our website, prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. But we thought it would also be a good idea to take some of the self-defense questions we're most frequently asked and put it in the podcast. Welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. Welcome to episode 62. This week we're talking about situational awareness. How does it help you and how do you already practice it? I often ask groups of people in Pretty Deadly, like, you know, what do you think situational awareness means? And everybody always answers with, well, it means being aware of the situation. <laughs> okay. Not wrong. Which, is, which is correct. <laughs> However, that's not quite what we're talking about. <laughs> so I, I love the idea of situational awareness just because I, I love it because it, when I think about it, um, consciously it makes me feel cool, you know, like I'm Jason Bourne. Um, but when I also think about it in broader terms of how women use situational awareness in our lives, I think that we've got these amazing skills that we are not even aware of how often we use situational awareness. So when I'm talking about it, um, to people in more depth, I think, and this is common knowledge for anyone who looks up this kind of stuff on the internet, that situational awareness always starts with a baseline, establishing a baseline of normalcy. What does that mean for everybody? What does that mean for you guys? So I know for me, it's like, what location am I in? And how are the people around me supposed to act in this location? So if we're on a metro, right? everybody should either be sitting or standing against a wall, you know, maybe, or, and probably looking at their cell phones. But if we're at a restaurant, then they should be in small groups eating and communicating with the people at their tables. Or if we're in a library, everyone's isolated and reading a book or, you know, each situation that we find ourselves in has a different um, uh, expectation of normalcy. But the main idea is that the group is participating in a, the exact same motions and um, no one's really deviating from that. Right. The kind of ex- accepted behavior for that location. Although I, w- I would also add, um, may- and maybe this is just because this is kind of how things were when I lived in Brooklyn in the neighborhood. Every location has its own definition of normal. Right. And for some locations, that normal can also be like there's some old guy tap dancing on a table. You know, ah, that's just Johnny. You know, so the idea is, is if um, if no one else is reacting, 
to the old guy tap dancing on the table, that's also part of the normal, right? That's just the neighborhood tap dancer. I think that's, <laughs> or whatever, whatever I think that's a really, really good point. Cause I, I know in the places that I've lived and I worked like over time, I got to know who the homeless people were in the area, who was a uh, kind of people who had medication for various things were in the area. So when I saw Mr. Flavor of the week, you know, like I, I knew, Oh yeah, you're, you're here. Cause it's Thursday, you know? Right. But that's right. A, that is a lot harder to tell when you're not as familiar. And I think you gave a really good example of if you're not as familiar with the area, how are other people reacting? Right. Because we all have this in our neighborhoods and, and even in our homes and with our friends and family, you know, like we know what's normal for someone that we have a, a, a consistent relationship with. You know, and we've all have been in the situation of saying to someone like, well, that's not really, maybe we don't say it to their faces, but, you know, well, that's not really normal behavior for that person. I think something's off. And I think that's also part of situational awareness. You know, that's not normal behavior for my dog. I think they have rabies. That's a obviously a bigger example. Um But, yeah, establishing what is the baseline of normal, I think, is a, is is the first step of situational awareness. When I think of it, I like to think of it in terms of things that we learn as women from the time we're really small, you know? And what I mean by that is like the ways that we learn to keep ourselves safe. The example that I usually give is being on a subway you know, most women, when we step onto a subway car, regardless of the time of day or night, we are automatically making a lot of assessments. You know, what's happening on this car? What is the general mood? Is it like a party car? Is everybody drunk? Is that normal? Because it's Friday night. Are they on drugs? Are they on the kind of drugs that make them aggressive or that make them, you know, very touchy-feely? Or are there not a lot of people? And is that unusual? Is there an empty seat? Is it next to a woman? Is there a door? Am I safe? All of those things are situational awareness. And we use that as well in the sense of stepping onto that car and looking around going, now I'm going to wait for the next one. You know, I don't know what's happening on this particular party car, but it's not a party I want to <laughs> go to. <laughs> Have you guys had similar things? I mean, I've been on the Metro a lot. <laughs> like, I find that one thing that I feel like people, especially when I take my friends with me onto the Metro and they're not as um, Metro savvy as like other friends of mine or myself. Um, one thing that I like to point out, to, they always seem to get like really freaked out whenever there's a belligerent loud person or um, preacher or however they self-identify in that moment. Uh, but they're, you know, in LA, we don't have a very good public transport system. So the people who are taking public transport either um, are adamant about, you know, walking in the environment like myself, or they are um, having to take it because of financial issues, or, uh, which is almost always present, the third category is they are mentally ill or homeless, um, because we also don't have a great mental uh, health or homeless resource here. So um, that category is almost always present on every single car. And um, if they're not, when you start your ride, they're 
they get on. And um, so you always see that, but it really freaks a lot of people out to see that or to hear um, that loud belligerent person. But I always remind the people that I'm with like, hey, you know, we can use one of our senses, our hearing to keep track of that person. So they're almost making it easier on us. Um, but what I always notice too, is that there are people around that sometimes who seek out the loud belligerent person and they get on the same train car with them and they're looking a lot more sketch. Um, so like, you know, maybe we'll keep an ear on this guy and we'll keep an eye on that person. Um, because the person who's being loud and belligerent, they're helping us, uh, keep track of where they are. And this other person over here, they're sneaking around waiting for us and our attention to be on that first person. And then, you know, who knows what they're going to do when we get off and we didn't even notice them. Oh, that's a really good point. You know, like why is somebody attaching themselves to someone who seems unstable or loud and belligerent or whatever it is when that's not a normal behavior, you know, and and bullfrogs do that. Um, we're like the louder bullfrogs. Um, they, I know totally random, but I know, I know what they are, but it's like, wait, I was totally underground with you there. There's bullfrogs. Now we're out of lake, yeah. Um, during mating season, the woman, or the female bullfrogs will attract, be attracted to the deeper uh, croaking of the male bullfrogs, right? So a male bullfrog that doesn't have a deep croak will hide behind a deeper croaked male bullfrog. Ew. And then Creepy. jump out and mate with the female when she comes to get that one. Oh, my so like, God. <laughs> I mean, that like sounds consistent frogs. with the animal world. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds consistent with Thank the Thank you for joining world. our um, animal <laughs> podcast that we've, <laughs> wow. that we've taken. But, I, I, yeah. I feel really, really, really let down by the animal kingdom. <laughs> It's to learn this because it's, it's such classic creep behavior. Right? So, so be aware just, of that. <laughs> and, so, and also, like, so then what does it mean to kiss a lot of frogs? You know, like, oh, that's gosh. a whole different thing, too. Like, oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. This just opened up a whole song. thing. <laughs> I didn't mean to ruin <laughs> No, you didn't. You, you just oh. opened up a whole, like. Ruin your perspective on frogs. Yeah. <laughs> I well, can never I, look at frog stories the same again. Oh my no, god! I, I I no longer feel guilty for eating them. <laughs> you know, so, you know what this really makes me realize is that creep behavior is biological, not not, not just like it's not. That's just, what I mean. Just, it's like instinctive. It's just, yeah, it's not just about humans. It's about animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, but that's what I mean. That's so disappointing. Like, I can totally get the like, you know, the the penguin prostitution and and the. The gay pet, you know, the penguins, the <laughs> creep, creep frogs really bums me out. I gotta say. All right, but back to the topic in hand, situational awareness. So it's it, but it's a really good point that you make. That you know, like, why is that person attaching themselves to the loud and, and belligerent person? Um, why is this person acting in a weird way? And and in the last episode, I told a story about. Um, hiding behind this big bruiser guy to keep myself <laughs> safe from someone that I felt was a threat to me. Someone that was obviously looking to like pick a fight with somebody. And for some reason they, I managed to get in their target range. Um, and that's also situational awareness. You know, how can I use the elements in my area? There's a, a term that of course I totally forgot, um, which is about using um, using all of the elements in your location 
as things that you can use to keep as elements of self-defense or elements of martial arts or whatever it is. So what is your, what is your location offering to you? So situational awareness is, is there's kind of the, kind of like the zero point of it, you know, like, okay, I know what it is. And I understand the basic stuff, like where the, where the windows, where the exits, you know, are people acting normally? Are they not acting normally? What is normal for this situation? Um, am I the, the, the person who, who shows others what normal is, you know, also what you're saying shall be about um, having to explain to friends that these things are normal. That's interesting too. Like who gets to decide what is normal, which is a long philosophical discussion. I don't think we should get into right now. However, <laughs> um, but taking that to a high, to the sort of the next level, like how can I use the elements where I am, you know, as part of my situational awareness, especially in terms of self-defense, are there people, are there, um, are there tools that I can use? Yeah. Um, I think that that's, that's really interesting. Cause when you were saying like, how do you decide what's normal? The thing that I was thinking in my head was as like a lot of times when we say, okay, you know, does someone's, does someone look like they're off in some way? And a lot of people will say that, you know, like is, does this person look like they're doing something suspicious? What does that actually look like? You know, what, what, cues you in to the fact that something's suspicious or something they're doing or saying is suspicious. And I have to say the thing that I always think of, I actually uh, learned in acting class because for film and television, you have to be very real. You can't act in parentheses. And we learned how to tell when someone was acting. And some of the things that were telltale signs were that you moved around a lot you bounced because you were trying to kind of inauthentically push something. And so the, the contradiction between the thing you were trying to show someone and how you were feeling made you physically bounce around and um, stuff like that, like really having very, very bouncy eyebrows. If you want to tell if somebody's spent a lot of time being in the inauthentic, their eyebrows go all over the place. And you know, just like certain aspects to human behavior that it was the same every time, you know? Um, and every time when someone was doing one of those things, you could tell up, oh, you're acting now. You're not believing you're not actually there because stillness is really what most of us do when we're being honest. We don't need to add anything over the top. So I don't know. I mean, like I, that, that's one thing I know I personally rely on when I see somebody talking to me or approaching me what their physicality is, you know, um, will kind of cue me in. If they're ba- if they're really bouncing around a lot, then I know something's up, you know. Um, besides using my gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Well, has anybody ever been pickpocketed? Thankfully, no. No, I haven't. I've I've heard. I have a friend who has, but my dad was, and he broke the woman's wrist on accident. What? Yeah, he was in Paris with my mom, and it was um, a woman, he could tell from the wrist, that had reached into his pocket as he was exiting the metro. Mm -hmm. And she was trying to just swipe it and stay on the car while he got off. 
and mm-hmm. kind of similar to the scenario Shelby mentioned a couple of episodes ago about, you know, being really crowded, a lot of people moving. There's not a lot of time to do much of anything, but he somehow managed to grab her wrist because what he thought had happened was she had tripped. And so he was supporting her, but then he felt that her hand was actually in his pocket. And as he turned around and the crowds pushed and the doors closed, he felt it snap <gasps> because Ooh. It, it was, it was this inadvertent, like he hadn't tried, but right. That is the closest experience I've had to pick up outing is my dad's horror story of your wrist gets broken. Oh. <laughs> so don't do it. If you're thinking about it, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> at least don't do it to my dad. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it to your dad. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, um, that's pickpocketing is very, very common in Paris and in most of the European capitals because there's so many before the pandemic, of course, there's so many tourists wandering around being completely enthralled with all the sights and sounds and smells and the tourist things that they're supposed to be looking at and um, having a great time and not at all paying attention to their belongings, which is, I think, very normal human behavior. But it's also just sort of like hunting ground for pickpockets. And they do a great job, you know, and one of their favorite things to do is to pick your pocket as you're getting off the metro because there's nothing you can do about it. Those doors yeah. close and they're and gone. Off the train goes, yeah, and they're gone, and that's the end of it. People that I know who've been pickpocketed, I have actually once, not pickpocketed, but my purse um, in Paris sitting on the steps of the soccer curb with a bunch of friends on a warm summer night. Um, and my bag was next to me and I thought that I was paying attention, but I guess I wasn't until some guy plops down next to me and says, you know, madam, do you think you have your wallet? And I was like, well, yeah. And he was like, would you check your purse, please? Totally looked homeless. And I did. And I said, why? I don't have my wallet. And then I thought, are you going to sell my wallet back to me? (laughs) Is that what this is all about? And then he flashes me a badge and he says, I'm with the Paris police. I saw you getting pickpocketed. You're getting, you're getting, I mean, we've caught the guy and we have your wallet, but we need you to come to the station. And I'm thinking, why, you know what? Why didn't you just put the wallet back? Like, why do we have to go through this entire drama when you could have just like put it back? (laughs) Obviously I was, I didn't notice it was missing. So I wouldn't have noticed if you had put it back either. Anyway, but they had to prosecute the guy, of course. I had a situation where my friend, we were walking back from a tea shop in um, Spain and just the streets, we weren't tourists, we were living there. Um, but, and we'd gone there pretty frequently, but there was, it was just this very tight, tight road. Um, and there wasn't, it was like a curb and then a wall. So there, all of the human beings who happened to be on that road, whenever a car passed by, we had to squish against the wall, single file and let the car through. And, um, my friend, all of a sudden, she just felt the need to check her purse and her wallet wasn't there, you know, and her photocopy of her passport and everything was just, um, you know, gone. So we realized that in that moment, like, first of all, what triggered her to just check her purse randomly? Um, And then second of all, it was just a very tightly crowded for half a minute. And then everybody kind of like walked their separate ways. And, um, you know, uh, we were all paying attention to not getting run over and not paying attention to necessary. She wasn't paying enough attention to what was going on with her purse, unfortunately. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's how that happened. I ask about the pickpocketing and and getting stuff stolen um, simply because I've talked to people that that's happened to. 
that happened to me. I was very lucky and my wallet was recovered intact. There was nothing in it anyway to steal, but whatever. Um, because I think people over, people tend to blame themselves a lot, you know, especially when we're talking about situational awareness, you know, like I should have been aware and not realizing that pickpocketers are really good at what they do. They have a lot of practice. Um, Sarita, you were talking about being still, you know, instead of like bouncing around and creating a lot of expressions and gestures um, when someone's not being authentic. Whereas pickpocketers are really good at being so still that they're almost invisible. Yep. You can train against that. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And so I think it's also important to remember that no matter how good your situational awareness is, um, there are people who train specifically to take it, you know, to be better than that. And it's luckily usually only for us, you know, normal people walking around the world. It's really usually just pickpocketers, which sucks. Actually, I was pickpocketed twice. I was also pickpocketed when I first moved to Europe. So that guy, I, I actually, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, um, but I had a bunch of cash on me to kind of start my life in Europe, along with my U.S. passport, I had I have dual citizenship, so I had my German passport, but I had that um, I had that someplace else, not in my bag. Anyway, whoever pickpocketed me that day won the lottery. Oh, and they they got five. They had all that was all my money, all of my savings, five thousand euro because I didn't have a bank account in Europe and I closed my bank's account in the U S. Um, so they got 5,000 Euro and an American passport, <sighs> a fresh American passport. Like, you know, it had a, several years to go before it was going to expire. And although I was very upset and I spent most of the day like haranguing the, the airport police about it, the one thing that I've walked away with for the rest of my life about that moment is I have never had as good a day as that person did that day. <laughs> and I, and I really, really hope that they enjoyed every single second of it <laughs> because that was a bonanza. Wow. That's a note. <laughs> Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Collick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.